Welcome to the Archive Australia podcast with Tiani Mikus. This episode is the second of a three-part series which has been produced in partnership with the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory in recognition of the annual National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art Awards. In this podcast, I speak with Luke Scholes, Curator of Aboriginal Art at the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory. Luke has had a varied career, working within various art institutions and Aboriginal art centres, and most recently co-curating the prominent exhibition Chungunucha from Having Come Together. Luke and I talk about this exhibition, as well as discussing what the word curator means to him and the importance of collaboration and learning in his role. Finally, we talk about the changes he's noticed throughout Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander art making in recent years. You're a curator of Aboriginal art at the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory. I was hoping you could first talk through what kind of things are involved in your curatorial role. Sure. I've, I'm really lucky in the fact that I've, I've got a, a really varied role and I think most curators will agree that the, the best part of our job is that our daily tasks are really varied. You know, a, a bulk of my workload is taken up by curating the Telstra National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Art Awards. Every year in August, the museum has plays host to these awards, uh, which we established back in 1984. A really big part of my year goes into that exhibition, and that's everything from maintaining good relationships with artists and art centres and really encouraging artists from across Australia to, to enter the awards, and then pulling those entries together and going through the selection process of the finalists and then that exhibition, which is always a, a really wonderful celebration of contemporary Aboriginal art and Torres Strait Islander art. But also I are constantly developing larger exhibitions, which I generally kind of develop over about a two or three year period. And the, the last uh, exhibition, major exhibition that we opened was Chumunucha from Having Come Together, which was uh, an exhibition of the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory's early Papunya painting. And I'm currently now in the development of another kind of long form survey exhibition of the Yolngu artist Nappa Nappa Inapingu from Yikala in northeast Arnhem Land. And, and then the other kind of curatorial task really of, of continuing to, to develop the collection. At the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory, we have a really wonderful kind of historic collection of um, early Western desert art and early bark paintings from, from Arnhem Land and the Tiwi Islands. Also, a, you know, a really wonderful kind of sculptural collection and really I'm kind of partway through a curatorial survey of, of us having a look at exactly what we do have in the collection and, and identifying areas of need. And so when you're drawn across so many different roles and your title is, you know, a curator of Aboriginal art, I'm curious as to what that word curator means to you. Yeah, look, it's a really interesting question and what what it means to me, and, and I think it comes down to the original use of that word curator is, you know, we care of things and in this case a, a collection. And I'm, I'm relatively new to my position. I've, I've been working in my current role for about three years and a year prior to that I was a, a consultant curator to the museum and so I still feel like I'm in that stage of getting to know the, the museum's collection intimately and that does take a long time. But I think um, as time goes on, you really do, do develop this deep sense of attachment to the collection and and that's obviously an emotional attachment. So I, I suppose 
being a curator is, is a, you know, developing that special relationship with something, in this case the collection, and then really working out ways of, okay, how, how can we care for this collection, not just by kind of looking after it, but, you know, how, how do we enable various cultural and linguistic groups from around the Northern Territory and, in fact, Northern Australia to get access to these items in our collection and and perhaps inform, you know, their current practice or, or, or really just kind of bring them up to speed on on what the museum does have. Because I think that's a, a, a trap that sometimes museums fall into is we just assume that people associated with items in our collection know what's in our collection. And that's my experience in, in the brief time I've spent that quite obvious uh, that that information isn't shared by everyone. So I think part of being a curator and caring for that collection is also letting people know about what's in our in our stores and how they can access it. But it's also, you know, curator, you know, developing that collection. It's not just about acquiring more examples. It's about acquiring the right examples. You know, what a curator should seek to do is really develop a, a full and really strong historical record of, of art movements but it's different for me too because I'm non-Indigenous, I'm, I'm not uh, Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander and that's increasingly rare in uh, art institutions and, and museums across Australia so I try to I suppose compensate for that I try and work with Indigenous groups as, as often as I can to assist me in the work that I do and, and that was most notable with again Chunganucha the collection of early Papunya paintings that e- exhibition I developed with five senior Walpuri mm-hmm. and literature and Pinabee men from the Western Desert regions of the Northern Territory and Western Australia because they are the people who are most knowledgeable about this work and the people who made it. Yeah and so Within that you're kind of talking about, on the one hand, the idea of caring for these collections and then on the other hand, fostering these really important relationships with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists. What does it feel like then to kind of be this middle person where on the one hand you're you're working for a non-Indigenous institution, but then so much of your work is with Indigenous people and Indigenous art objects? Do you ever find there's a bit of a push and pull between that? Yes, I do, and, and it's probably a little bit hard to articulate. I think um, it's something that I, I always like to think that I act in really good faith, and that that may sound pretty serious and grandiose, but I I, I really do take this kind of middleman kind of role, for want of a better term, pretty seriously, and I suppose um, I work really hard to ensure that, that as much as I can, I consult with the right people about kind of developments that I want to make in, in, in my role with exhibitions and the collection. And it is sometimes a really difficult position to be in, but also it's a really privileged one. And I think that most Aboriginal people I work with would, would agree that I try as hard as I can to, to do things in, in a correct manner and um, most of the, the time I, I, I achieve that. You know, part of what my job needs to be is to, to try and support and, and promote the, the, the careers and aspirations of Aboriginal people I meet to, you know, gain, gain full employment. Uh, in institutions like ours because I think that it is right to to have Aboriginal pe- people speaking on behalf of collections such as ours. 
Going back to something you were talking about earlier, one of the most recent exhibitions you've worked on was showing a collection of early Papunya paintings, displaying one of the most significant collections of these works in the world. Can you talk through, first of all, for people who may not know, how these paintings were created and why they're so culturally and artistically important? So, as, as many people know, the Papunya art movement began in 1971 at the remote government settlement of Papunya, which is about 240 kilometres west of Ellis Springs. And at the time, it was a, a government settlement, and it brought together over a 1,000 people from different cultural and linguistic groups from across the Northern Territory and even down in South Australia and Western Australia. And so you had Kukaja, Laricha, Pinabi people, Fitchinjara, Aranda, uh, Amajara, uh, Walpuri people, all living in one place. And, you know, that, that did cause some, some tensions in the community and some, uh, you know, small divisions in the community. But really it was a remarkably coherent kind of space in which, in which people could live. And it, it did get a bad reputation at some stages through some of the troubles caused there. But I think, Speaking to most um, Aboriginal people that that lived in Papunya at that time, they 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 look upon that period fondly. But a really amazing kind of series of ceremonies um, took place in Papunya in the late 1960s, early 1970s, and it was this real sharing of of um, of ceremonial kind of knowledge amongst different cultural groups. And so there was this wonderful kind of coming together of those groups. And um, one of the things that spawned out of those kind of relationships was a lot of um, Western Aranda um, watercolour painters, um, painters who traditionally uh, painted in the in the Hermansburg or the, the Namajua style watercolours came into contact with other Aboriginal groups and encouraged them to paint as well. And um, an Amajara man, um, uh, Karpa Jambajimpa, was one of those men and, and Karpa kind of took it upon himself to kind of salvage materials from around that community and begin to start working on uh, scraps of building materials and leftover house paint. And, and then he'd get his hands on various tubes of paint from the school and, and Karpa began painting in a way that was very different. He started painting depictions of ceremonial scenes onto scraps of building materials and a number of other men began doing the same thing and they all congregated in a, in a disused settlement office that they'd kind of set up as, a, as an artist studio. A, a school teacher, Jeffrey Barden, came along and found this encampment of artists and became very interested in what they were doing. So he supported the, the artists through the uh, supply of materials for them to paint. You know, after Carpa Jamba Jimpa won a, a large art award here in Alice Springs, the, the rest, as they say, is history. It really did spawn this great interest in, in art from Papunya. Jeffrey Barden continued um, to support the artists with the assistance of an art dealer here in Alice Springs, Patricia Hogan, who had a a small ga art gallery at a, at a caravan park that her and her husband Tom owned. And, and really, um, you know, this was the, the beginnings where the Papunya art movement began. Patricia Hogan was, was a very good friend of uh, the inaugural director of the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory, Colin Jack Hinton. And uh, Colin Jack, on one of his visits to Alice Springs, came across this art, which at the time, it's hard to imagine now, but at the time was 
was really new and revolutionary. And so Colin Jack, um, he made a, a, a really famous purchase now of over 104 early paintings from from that Genesis kind of period in Papania. And that really went on to form the the, um, the basis of our collection of early Papania paintings at the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory. So the museum had this collection in their stores for a very long time, but you know, the, a lot of those very early paintings where, as I said, people like Carpa Jabotempus, he painted certainly what Aboriginal people consider very risque uh, depictions of ceremonial scenes and ceremonial objects that really weren't and, and aren't still considered safe for women and children and uninitiated men to see. And, and the Papunya community really did grow up knowing that that collection in Darwin it's a, was a really dangerous one. And I suppose... This led to a kind of a lot of mystery, a lot of intrigue in in Indigenous and, and non-Indigenous circles. So for for many years, the collection kind of went largely unseen. Finally, in 2012, the Aboriginal Areas Protection Authority in Darwin were charged with consulting with Indigenous owners of this collection regarding the cultural safety concerns around the work and they were asked to also provide a management plan for the display but also the care and um, ongoing storage of these works and at the end of that process they determined that 66 paintings in our collection of over 240 were not suitable for public display. That really cleared the path for the museum to begin developing an exhibition of this collection. It was at about that time that, that I was brought on to uh, consult as a curator uh, to try and bring this exhibition into being and it just seemed to make sense that the senior men who were consulted about the cultural safety of these works who had spent time talking and thinking and looking at this collection really needed to be involved in the development of the exhibition as well and so we uh, appointed five of those men as curators of the exhibition and uh, very early on those men gave this exhibition the name Chungunotcha from having come together and that was really to acknowledge those early ceremonies that took place in Papunya which really created that atmosphere of companionship and, and sharing between the the, the communities and, and also that, you know, Chumanucha was, was really about the coming together of those men then to create this incredible art movement. But also it, it was to acknowledge the coming together of the communities from where this art came and, and the museum because there had for some time re remained this kind of detachment between the museum, that collection and the communities from where that came. And that certainly wasn't the museum's kind of fault. It was, it was very much considered just the right thing to do at the time. And so, uh, yeah, Long Jack Philippus Giacomara, one of the, the founding Papunya artists and one of the artists very heavily featuring in the exhibition was perhaps our senior curator. He was um, ably supported by kind of a second generation artist, if you like, Michael Giacomara Nelson, who many people would know. He's uh, designed the forecourt of Parliament House. Then Bobby West Chapel Ruler, who was a, a senior Pinnaby man and a, the son of one of the founding artists, Freddie Giacomara West. And uh, also Sid Anderson for Papunya, who's a, a really uh, senior elder out there who was um, a tremendous support to the exhibition. And, and then much later in the course of things, Joseph Jarrah Jokuljari from uh, Kirakura came on as a curator. And so I work uh, as a curator with those men and really without their input, the exhibition wouldn't have been what it ended up being.
And something that many of the reviewers wrote about the show was that it was always mentioned how ethically and collaboratively it all came together. And it's obvious that there is this huge ethical component to your curatorial role. But how do you always make sure that you're working within the most ethical framework possible? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I, I suppose it's it's about having a sense of, of proper protocol and understanding that the protocol varies uh, depending on who you're working with and the personalities, but also, you know, the, the cultural groups that you're working with. There's no one way to operate in this space. It's about knowing when to, to, to shut up and listen. But also, I for a long time work as a field officer and an assistant manager of Papani Tularata. So I had really established relationships with a great number of the, the you know community members. So I think having those established relationships and having spent time, you know, like the coalface working for an Aboriginal Land Arts Centre really prepared me for knowing those boundaries and I kind of honed my my ethics and um, my approach to working with people during during that time and everything I've learnt and everything I know, I, I have been taught by Aboriginal people and I, I think there's a danger in applying that knowledge to every group that you work with, but that's something that I'm aware of as well. And I, I, I just think it's about a respect, it's just about respect and, and realising that, you know, as a white fellow working in this space, I don't and never will know everything and, and I've got to rely on the generosity of the people I work with to, to show me the right way to go about working. And like you've said, you've you've worked across a variety of, of art centres and you also worked at the National Gallery of Victoria for a while. And I'm curious with all of that experience, what do you think museums and galleries, broadly speaking, need to be more mindful and aware of when they're curating works by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists? Yeah, look, really, really good question. And and I, I think that there's a lot of great curators kind of working in this space around the country at the moment. So, you know, I would hesitate to give any advice to the curators as such. But I think there's a real growing desire amongst Australian institutions to work with Aboriginal artists, which I, I think is fantastic. But I, I think that says a lot about where we are at the moment that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists, First Nations artists across Australia are producing some of the most exciting work in the sector at the moment. And so there is this desire to, to do things properly. And, and you look at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art and, um, you know, they're, they're an exhibition, seeing shows like that pop up and also the wonderful retrospective on John Moendrell that's uh, currently at the MCA and heading to the Art Gallery in South Australia, you know, that, that it just shows that there's a real desire from our audience to engage with really scholarly, large exhibitions of groups of Aboriginal artists, but also individual Aboriginal artists. And so I, I suppose my, my advice would be to respond to that obvious need in our audience to continue to look forward, but also to look back at the wonderful kind of history of Aboriginal art and for non-Indigenous curators working in this space to engage with communities, engage with families, engage with artists in the development of these exhibitions as well, because you can only benefit, you know, try and, try and leave behind some really long-term benefits to the communities as well and you know one of the things that my co-curators on Chumanucha really identified early on was that they want they wanted these lasting kind of legacy of the exhibition to be made available to the communities from where this art came and so you know they put a lot of emphasis on having a 
a wonderful catalogue with the exhibition so that, you know, images of these paintings could be distributed amongst family members, amongst communities, so that a safe record of that collection could be in the hands of people out there as well. So that's another part of it. When I was talking in the last podcast with Glenn Isika-Pilkington, we discussed what changes he's noticed in the arts in Australia over the last 15 years, whether they've been for better or worse. And I'm curious as to how you would answer that question as well. Glenn and I would probably answer this question in a really similar way. I, I think it's been, you know, a wonderful kind of evolution over these last 15 years. And, and I, I think we're experiencing this incredible artistic and cultural renaissance at the moment where you have contemporary artists engaging with new materials, engaging with new ideas, engaging with new media. But also we have artists who are really looking to their cultural roots and age-old artistic traditions of sculptures and three-dimensional works. And they're regenerating and transforming those art forms in new and really exciting ways. And, it, you know, we, we get to see this best probably at the Telstra uh, Natsir Awards every year in August in Darwin, where we have artists, you know, working across a, a number of mediums. We have video and we have video mixed with three-dimensional sculpture. We have the winning work, Gunbi uh, Gunambar's incredible uh, Boiku work this year, which was netting into um, coated aluminium, which was just absolutely breathtaking. And the thought of these types of works being produced 15 years ago was was probably impossible to consider, but now it's very much a reality. And you really do kind of sit back and you know, we're, we're just all, I think, in awe of the passion and drive amongst a number of artists at the moment, working all across Australia engaging with that new media and, and I think you know that the real professionalism that's underpinning a lot of these artists practice now they're not just prepared to be inspired and I, I suppose they're practicing formed by what's going on around them you know so a lot of artists now are engaging with non-indigenous artists and, and wanting to know about their practice and, and what drives drives them I think there's a real curiosity and, and that is kind of flowing into the work of, of, of Aboriginal artists as well and yeah it's, it's, it's really terribly exciting. And that was Luke Scholes discussing his curatorial practice. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes as well as check in with Archive online or pick up a copy of the print edition to keep up to date with art related news, articles and features from around Australia.